The Truth News Network. On every continent, in every capital, on campus, in meetings, in your home. People seeking the truth. Turn to TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the last Friday in August of 2021. It's hard to believe the year is fleeting. I mean, we don't have a lot of 2021 left. I hope your week has been good so far, and we're all ending it on a low note. We all together know exactly what happened yesterday in Afghanistan. So far, folks, confirmed 13 military members of the United States were killed in those two suicide attacks. The death count for Afghanis, however, is now sitting at 90. So that means best case scenario, looking back, 103 people died yesterday senselessly, needlessly, in a stupid situation in a foreign country just because people hate. Think about that for a minute. More than 100 people had their lives snuffed out because of hatred. And two people, folks, purposely, purposely died, committed suicide in the process of taking all those other people's lives. What is this world coming to? Where have we evolved in our thinking when people hate so deeply, so intensely, that they take little thought for the inhumanity of taking others' lives? I don't understand it. There are people that uh, have spent a lot of time. I have some friends who are Muslims. Um... I have friends that converted from Islam to Christianity. And the explanation is just simply this. That's what they've known since they were born. That's the way they were were taught. They were brought up just as most Americans have been brought up in Christian homes. We take so many things for granted. For those of us that are born and have been raised in the United States, we're guilty of taking so many things for granted that we just don't understand. Folks, there's no way that any of us will ever know and ever understand anything that happens anywhere in our world, yet alone around the world. But I can tell you this one thing. We got to find a way to get along. We got to find ways to respect each other's differences And after all, folks, that's what we're supposed to be in the United States of America. We're called the melting pot of the world. We're called the universal place where people from any ethnicity, any language, any skin color, any religious affiliation, anywhere in the world, you're going to be accepted here in the United States of America. We take for granted that everybody else feels the same way about other people just like we do. That's not the case. Early last week, I believe, or late the week before, we published the tenets, a synopsis. It wasn't in Arabic. It was translated into English 
but a synopsis of the tenets of Sharia law. Sharia law, it's not the um, Muslim Bible, that's the Quran, but Sharia law is the legal framework under which all Muslims are to live, instructed to live. And in those tenets of Sharia law, there's some pretty, pretty negative stuff. I mean, about infidels. And by the way, if you're not Muslim, you're an infidel. I am. Doesn't matter what your Christian affiliation is or your Jewish affiliation. If you're not Muslim, you're an infidel. Convert the infidel or kill them. It's pretty plain in the Quran. Does that mean it's okay? No. It doesn't. And there's a fundamental slap in the face for people that just openly accept everything about Islam and think that we all should. It's religion. You've got freedom of religion in the United States. First Amendment. Freedom of speech. First Amendment. Anybody can say anything to anybody at any time. But folks, anybody can't do anything they want to to someone else. That dog doesn't hunt here. There's accountability. There's a price to pay. But there are people that conflate the two, and because we're the nation that we are, and because we're founded with the promises that our forefathers gave us, and uh, they put them in writing. The United States Constitution, the first ten amendments of that document, those are the Bill of Rights for every person. And as a nation, we, we stick to that. We need to realize, we need to recognize that everybody on the planet doesn't feel that way. They don't think that our way of life is as good as theirs or our way of life is the right way of life. And listen closely to what I'm about to say to you. That's okay. That's okay. If you look back in our wake, our historical wake as a nation, let me just say this. Our, our country's not structured as a democracy, even though you hear it come out of the mouths of just pretty much every member of our political class. In a true democracy, let me tell you how that works. The term democracy, it means every single person has a say-so in the governing of whatever country that pure democracy exist that we're talking about. Every person, think about that. That would mean that every registered voter here in the United States, if we were actually a democracy for every election, for every bill that's ever passed, every law, every American would have an equal say-so in it. We'd have to go to the polls and vote. We'd be at the polls four times a month if that was the case. Our forefathers crafted a way that we could, as the American people, have the same type of say-so, but they created our United States Congress, split it into two sides. One side represents the state's rights. The other side represents directly to the people's rights. The House of Representatives represents the people. The Senate represents the state's 
In other words, we're not a true democracy. We are actually a republic, a representative republic. We have 535 people that we elect our choice as American citizens to go do all of the lawmaking and governing. But they do it on our behalf. And our forefathers were careful to document that the United States government, as crafted and as structured, is to always be government of, government by, and government for the people. In other words, the people, not those that are elected, not those 535 representatives or anybody that is elected individually like a vice president and a president. Nobody has authority to govern us other than us. And I think it's uncontroverted that that's worked pretty well here. Bumps and scrapes and bruises along the way, no doubt about it. But when put in the context of what we have lived through in our history compared to the rest of the world, I think our forefathers did a pretty darn good job. But just because we are there, we are where we are, and that we believe what we believe, that doesn't mean we have authority or the right to dominate anybody else that thinks differently. If we are really who we say we are, what we must do is honor the fact that we have differences with other people. Just like domestically here in the United States, Um, I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. I promise you I can go next door and knock on the door. And I got to be careful because I know my neighbors on both sides and they're great people. But most folks can knock on their next door neighbor's door when they come to the door. They automatically have differences of opinions, of religious beliefs, skin color often, ethnicity, how to handle their households, how to operate within their families. We're all different. And what we are supposed to do, not as Americans, not as Christians, not as Jews, not as Muslims, what we're all supposed to do is find commonality with others that aren't necessarily the same skin color, the same ethnicity, don't necessarily speak the same language, don't go to the same church or synagogue. And respect the fact that we're humans fundamentally, all of us, and we need to get along. We need, we need to get together, as a matter of fact. We need to high-five each other for our commonalities. And we need to respectively communicate with those who we have differences simply to make our country better, to keep our country safe, to respect the differences and embrace the differences while going about our everyday lives. We can't dominate the world. Do you know that as much as most people that are Muslims in the world despise Christians and maybe vice versa, As much as that's the case, there are people on the other side of that equation that feel the same way. Hatred, anger, vitriol, 
we're better than they are. How many times have you heard people talk that way? And I mean, here in the United States, folks, you break it down, it goes way beyond just a religious perspective. People have a natural tendency to seek to achieve positions in life. You know what I'm talking about. You can watch it in our children when they're babies, when they go to, they first start preschool or kindergarten, see how they interact with other kids in their in their classrooms. And as they grow up, the same thing. Everybody finds places of position and society often dictates and sadly our kids pick it up and they implement it in their lives, in many cases, unknowingly. You got to find a slot. You've got to find a place to fit in, or you're going to beat yourself to death trying to find that spot. But if we all start the process, if we all start the seeking and searching to find our niche, to find our level, where we should fit in in our lives, wherever we are. If you're a Christian, it should be very simple. You remember the Apostle Paul? He actually killed Christians. Seriously, killed them. Persecuted Christians. He ended up becoming a Christian and actually became the guy that, as a missionary to then the known world, established more churches than anybody else can even imagine one person doing. And he did it in the name of Christianity. You know what he said? He said about differences, I find whatsoever state I'm in, therein to be content. In other words, where the circumstances of the moment put him, and he ended up going to jail, in jail, he felt that way, I'm here for a purpose. And he didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He didn't, he didn't lash out at the people that actually put him in jail for just preaching the gospel. Do you know as bad as the Muslim overall arching hatred is for non-Muslims in the world? Do you know in the Middle East, what leader of what country in the Middle East has been in your lifetime the friendliest to Christians that lived among the Muslim population in their countries. Do you know who it was? Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Very few people even realize that because he's been portrayed as just being a ruthless dictator. He was a devout Muslim. But what he did was something a lot of people on the other side of that equation need to do, is he found ways to recognize the differences, even in his own country, between people that live there. There are two huge factions in the the Muslim religion that dominate every Muslim country. In fact, a lot of people that are not one but the other they're not welcome in certain countries, in certain Muslim countries. Saddam Hussein, in his leading his nation of Iraq, he made the environment there safe for Christians. It was only when 
He was dethroned in the Bush administration. The radical Islamists took over. And do you know today, in those countries, Iraq and Syria, and that part of the world, the Christian church is scarce. People have been slaughtered and massacred for their beliefs, for their differences. This is the world we find ourselves in today, folks. 13 Americans dead. 90 Afghan nationals dead because of hatred. Hatred for differences. Wow. What a way to start the day, huh? Well, here's my promise to you today. We're going to give you the details. We're going to bring you up to date on all the specifics of what's going on over there. But I, I, I want to spend very little time in the weeds today. I want to get up at like the 10,000-foot level. And why would I want to do that? It's very simple. When you get a little above the fray, you have the ability to see a little bit more of what the reality is or what's going on. And I think we all need to try to adopt this mindset at some point. Yeah, we live at ground level. We all do. And our turf that we walk on every day, we've got to exist. We've got to take care of ourselves and others that exist within that horizon that we have in our own lives at ground level. But we also need to every day acknowledge that not everybody has the same view. Their world, their landscape is going to be a little bit different from ours. We just have to understand that and we have to coexist. We politically, socially, religiously, we need to understand. We've got to find ways. We have to want to find ways. And then we have to take measures to do it, to coexist to get along, to respect our differences. We used to pride ourselves in the fact that this was a place everybody, anybody could come and could carve out a niche and be confident and comfortable knowing that they're part of the nation that is the melting plot of the world. Anybody can come jump in this pot. It doesn't matter what your religion is or your skin color or your language that you speak or your place of origin. None of that is supposed to matter, sadly. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed that during my lifetime, I've watched this country transition away from that melting pot thing to become a nation full of people that look down their noses at everybody that's different, domestically and around the world. That's a shame. I don't know if you've read today's story, truthnewsnet.org. It was actually written before all the news came out about the horrors. We knew there was a, a bombing over there, a suicide bombing. But we didn't know all the details. And so I'm kind of a history buff, and I sat down and started thinking through history. And looking at, at that point yesterday, looking at the point where we were regarding our leadership, our government leadership, and, and what happened on those leaders' watches in Afghanistan, 
And it made me think of Napoleon Bonaparte. Do you remember him? was the leader of France back in the 1800s. And he was ruthless. He was a little guy, famously very, very short in stature. He was very sensitive about his lack of height. But he was outgoing, gregarious, braggadocious. Apparently wasn't a good guy to be around. His last battle as the leader of France, was fought at Waterloo. Now, many people, they've heard Waterloo mentioned, but they only think of it in the context of, that's a song. You remember, that was a big hit back in the, was it the 70s or 80s by the the group ABBA, Waterloo. It wasn't just a song, folks. It was a famous battle. It was fought on Sunday, 18th day of June in 1815, near Waterloo in Belgium, of all places. A French army under the command of Napoleon was defeated by two of the armies of the 7th Coalition. That was a British-led coalition that included units from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Hanover, Brunswick, and Nassau, under the command of the Duke of Wellington and a Prussian army under the command of Field Marshal von Blücher, referred to as Blücher's army. And this battle was a big deal because it marked the end of the Napoleonic Wars as he tried to take over entirely that part of the world in Europe. All that information is simply fluff around the essential stuff resulting in and resulting from what happened in Waterloo. The Battle of Waterloo was a humdinger. It obviously involved a whole bunch of different folks with a whole bunch of different perspectives. And it didn't last long. And Napoleon lost. He lost at Waterloo. And four days later, Napoleon abdicated his throne in France. He quit. He threw in the towel. Uh-oh, <laughs> you probably just got the relation between what's happening in Afghanistan and what happened at Waterloo. So my question today is, could similar circumstances between the two world events resolve in the same fashion? In his speech to the nation about our withdrawal from Afghanistan in the beginning, President Biden was right that a long legacy of American involvement there preceded him. But across the board in domestic and foreign policy, any new president inherits realities that precede him. I mean, you can't just on one day stop everything that was going on in the administration of the president before you take office. You've got to have a transition period. The issue confronting every president is what principles, what policies will be implemented to deal with these existing realities that will define his or her administration. Most clear now is that America's withdrawal from Afghanistan is surrounded by a perception of confusion, one of weakness, and sadly, especially after yesterday, one of humiliation. 
For anyone who believes that our nation should be a beacon of strength for freedom in the world, know this. That beacon that we've been so proud of for so long has been deeply tarnished. According to the Jerusalem Post, these are the nations that will most benefit from this moment, this Afghanistan, this cabal moment. Qatar, Russia, China, Pakistan, Turkey, and Iran. Think about that. Qatar, Russia, China, Pakistan, and Turkey, and Iran. Now, what's the common thread in those countries? Well, you can't say they're all Muslim because obviously Russia's not and China's not. What's the commonality there? They all hate the United States of America and what we stand for. Some other commonality. Most of these countries have hosted the Taliban or tacitly backed them. In other words, this round that we just completed last night has been won by forces in the world for whom freedom is not a value at all. Biden in his remarks said, we went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11th of 2001 and make sure Al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. This is inaccurate, folks. Months after the attack on 9-11, President Bush, Bush 43, he defined a two-pronged strategy of retaliation in his State of the Union address. One, and this is a quote, shut down terrorist camps, disrupt terrorist plans, and bring terrorists to justice. This was accomplished in our successful military incursion in Afghanistan. But secondly, here's number two, we must prevent the terrorists and regimes who seek chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons from threatening the United States and the world. Bush got it right. He noted that Afghanistan could not and cannot be viewed in isolation from forces in the world that hate us and hate our ideals. This humiliation in the current withdrawal from Afghanistan strengthens those nations' forces. Although Biden decided to continue withdrawing, he reversed President Trump's withdrawal from the deal with Iran. Biden's deal with Iran, the world's greatest terrorist country, it strengthens rather than weakens Iran and creates a path leading to the nuclear capability of this dangerous and threatening nation. But most critical is to appreciate that we cannot defend our nation abroad if we are not clear who we are at home. I mean, look at the landscape. Look at the political landscape in this nation. Never been as divided as we are today. Never. And it gets worse. And our military and our political leaders seem to be stoking the fires of division. Remember President Reagan? He had a lot of great things that he said. Great speeches. Great orator, actually. In one of them, he observed this. While America's military strength is important, 
I've always maintained that the struggle now going on for the world will never be decided by bombs or rockets, by armies or military might. The real crisis we face today is a spiritual one. At root, it is a test of moral will and faith. Our enemies, per President Reagan, quote, must be made to understand we will never compromise our principles and standards. We will never give away our freedom. We will never abandon our belief in God. So let me ask you a question. Is it here, right here, that Biden's credibility is so deeply in question? Under the leadership of this administration, the values that Americans have always known that protect individual freedom, protect God-fearing Americans, certainly those that understand this as Christianity, are on historically shaky ground. Cancel culture and wokeness limit our ability to speak and run our private lives and our businesses freely. Our kids don't have any freedom anymore at school. Parents don't have any freedom to teach our kids the right values, the ones that our families have adopted and believe in. Many of those have been generational. The values that have sustained marriage and family and protect the unborn have been dangerously weakened, and there are people in this nation that want to destroy every one of those. Government expansion and incursion into private life are unprecedented. Per the Hoover Institution's John Kogan, if Biden plans find their way into law, for the first time in history, more than half of all Americans would be on the federal dole. In other words, all the income for those half would come from the federal government directly. How can we expect leadership in Afghanistan or anywhere else abroad for these American values when we don't even see it at home? Biden's handlers worked diligently in 2019 and 2020 to sell to the American people the fact, they say, that Joe Biden had a career full of foreign policy achievements during his 40-year political career both while he was a U.S. senator and then in his eight years as vice president during the Obama administration. I got to be honest with you, they told the truth when they said that. Kind of. The only truth in that statement is that he was a U.S. senator and was a U.S. vice president. Regarding foreign policy achievements, he had none. I didn't say he didn't have many. I said he had none. So grab your rearview mirror with me and look in there. In hindsight, let's do that together. We can see what a dumpster fire the Obama-Biden White House was overseeing America's national security and foreign affairs. Like, let me give you a few examples. Failed red lines and genocide in Syria. Check. The Russian annexation of Crimea. Check. ISIS establishing a caliphate and spreading its deadly tentacles around the world. 
check, check. Then there's Benghazi and that failed regime change in Libya. Check. The disastrous Iran nuclear deal gave the world's leading sponsor of terror a paltry little $150 billion, much of which ended up in the hands of terrorist proxies. Check. Nobody can overlook that on Biden's lead from behind watch, North Korea dramatically expanded its nuclear arsenal while Russia meddled in U.S. elections. And neither got anything more than maybe a wrist slap. Super check. The Obama administration emptied Gitmo on Joe Biden's watch, releasing scores of jihadis back onto the battlefield, which also, at the same time, we traded five hardened terrorists for a deserter. Bo Bergdahl. Check. Rank-and-file Democrats in Congress have begun to see the absence of reason in the Biden foreign policy team, while the State Department and Defense Department leadership are doing nothing but scrambling for answers. Excuse me. Scrambling for excuses. It's not working. The fact that any of the explanations we're hearing from National Security Advisor, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, are all minus any factual information, any reasonable and complex explanations, and certainly no evidence of any plans to extricate the thousands of Americans still behind Taliban lines that the Biden administration continues to promise, we're going to get them all out. Sadly, folks, that promise is empty. It's empty. Why? Even those cabinet members quietly agree. There is little chance, if any, to get all of those Americans, along with our Afghan allies, out of the country safely before Biden's arbitrary and mysterious August 31st deadline. I think day before yesterday I told you, someone sent me a video. It shocked me when I opened it. The video was, it just went straight to eight men on their knees. And standing behind them were Taliban terrorists, obviously with automatic weapons. And several of those automatic weapons were American automatic weapons that the Biden administration walked out and left in the hands of whoever got to them. Those eight men on their knees on the ground, each was one of those people that they're Afghani nationals that through the years, through the last 20 years, worked side by side with the United States military and our intelligence community members that were there, helping us. Translators, people that could lead these people around the nation of Afghanistan. And one at a time, those terrorists with our automatic weapons shot each of those men in the back of the head and killed them. Each day, folks, it becomes more apparent that President Biden has no grasp on governing our nation. None. These foreign events playing out now in Afghanistan have made it abundantly clear this president has no grasp on what's necessary to take 
decisive measures in Afghanistan immediately, if for no other reason, to save the lives of Americans and our Afghanistani partners that we promised we would take care of them. As I was writing this story yesterday, the suicide bombing of that gate at the Kabul airport killed 12 originally, then a 13th died. This morning early, the number was confirmed to be 13, but 90 Afghani citizens died too. Our military on the ground, not necessarily our military at the Pentagon, folks, is face-to-face with terrorists. And those terrorists represent an uncountable assortment of well-organized, well-trained, well-financed militia who each despise the United States and all those who represent us. It's hard for us Americans to understand how anyone is so committed to killing who they call the great Satan. That's what they call the United States. Please make no mistake, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and multiple branches of these terrorist organizations exist solely to destroy every person on earth who is not an adherent to their versions of the law and religion. So let me ask you this. Let's talk this through. Let's finish this today by coming up with some answers. What can we do regarding filling the void of leadership in the U.S.? Number one, President Biden's got to step aside. By now it should be obvious to him, even in his diminished cognitive state, that he doesn't have what it takes to handle this spending genocide of innocent Afghans, and Americans by the way, by this terrorist conglomerate. What would it look like President Biden did design to resign as president? Well, obviously the process is fairly simple. He would simply resign, step down. The vice president would simultaneously take the oath of office and assume the presidency. But folks, there are many Biden confidants that not only do not think Joe Biden will ever resign, they don't want him to resign. After all, no matter the physical or mental state of a U.S. president, he or she can stay in office as long as they choose or until they're replaced. Replacing a president specifically is detailed in the U.S. Constitution. The first is impeachment. Now, we've been through that process a couple of times in the last year or so. Twice, the Pelosi Democrats attempted to remove Trump from office. They, first on both occasions, voted articles of impeachment in the House of Representatives, sent those articles to the U.S. Senate, after which a Senate trial of President Trump was held twice, and the Senate refused to remove him from office. There's another way, the 25th Amendment of the Constitution. Let me give you a little quick history. After John F. Kennedy was assassinated, Congress proposed and the states ratified the 25th Amendment to the Constitution in 1967, and it outlined the transition of power formally. Before that, the vice president didn't officially have the power to take over in a case like that, which it was when John F. Kennedy was killed. Lyndon Johnson was vice president, and he became president. 
This 25th Amendment states that if the president dies, resigns, or is removed from office, the vice president automatically becomes president. If there's a vacancy in the vice presidency for any reason, the president has authority to choose someone to fill it. And if the president is unable to fulfill his or her duties, like when President George W. Bush was under general anesthesia for colonoscopies in 2002 and 2007, he can temporarily transfer his powers to the vice president, and he gets them back when he gets through his medical procedure. So how would this work in our case today? Under the amendment's fourth stipulation, it would only take 14 people to depose this president, the vice president, and a majority of the president's cabinet size if it increased or decreased in number. Section 4 reads this, Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. And then the final final of this story. Let's face it. It's doubtful Biden will ever step down. Being the commander-in-chief has been a lifelong dream for Joe. Many field Democrat Party leadership negotiated some kind of deal with him to be a temporary president so that he would always be known in history as being the 46th president of the United States. Then at some future point, it's thought that he would step aside for the VP to take over. In my opinion, folks, neither option is viable and certainly neither would be a good option to choose. In each of these two scenarios, Vice President Kamala Harris would become president. Now let me ask you this. Can you imagine what horrors would erupt under her guidance? Look at her horrendous record as a a prosecutor in San Francisco, then as Attorney General of California, and then finally... U.S. Senator from California, and then she was a candidate for the United States presidency running against Joe Biden. In which of these did she have even marginal success? The people of California messaged their resounding non-support of her when she campaigned for president. She dropped out of the race before the first primary election was held, And she was not even in the top three in the polling in her own state, California. Sadly, it appears that whoever holds that office in the White House will be Mr. Biden or Ms. Harris until January of 2025 on Inauguration Day. So we're at this point, folks. Which would you rather, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris? Oh my God, that's what you call a conundrum. Just had a thought. I wonder if Hillary is available and if she'd uh, step up to the plate. I hope not. (laughs) Folks, 
This is a call for Americans to get on their knees and pray. Pray for our leadership. You want me to pray for Joe Biden? Yes, I do. He is the captain of the 747 that you and I are sitting on. And I want whoever's flying left seat up front to be very successful while he's in left seat because I don't want a plane crash. Bad things happen there. There are a few more people at the top. You've probably seen them. I know you have recently. Heard their names. You probably don't know that this is not their first rodeo. Hmm. That sounds a bit sinister, Dan. It should be. Details right after this. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. So the left has the squad. There isn't enough beer to hold to watch what happens next. You are the Army of Truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Anytime during the show, if you'd like to share your opinion, please feel free to do so. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. So who else is involved in this Afghanistan debacle? Well, there are a bunch of people that are involved in it, as you know. Leadership is very vast, and it involves a lot of people, a lot of groups. And when you do that, you got a lot of opinions. And, of course, you know, opinions are okay. And every one of us, every one of us has at least one of those in opinion. Not necessarily right. But in government today, folks, in politics... It's not necessarily just about who's the most qualified for any position. 
there's always quid pro quo going on. And it's, it's almost comical to use that term quid pro quo at the same time we're talking about this president, Joe Biden, because his life, his history, he's got a whole bunch of quid pro quo in his wake. And what is that? It's, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Now, there's, there's some really, really um, mysterious information about two, or excuse me, three people that Joe Biden has put at the top of these very, very critical situations and departments and the bureaucracies that handle what's going on right now. The first is Army General Lloyd Austin III. General Austin, he is the Secretary of Defense, first African-American to ever hold that position. He's been around, obviously, for a long time, and uh, his past in the military has not been so stellar. He was the commander of U.S. Central Command. Hmm, what is that? Central Command is the command over all of Europe and Middle East and Africa. Now think about that. I'm going to get quiet for 15 seconds. Think about that. He was over all of the U.S. military actions in Europe, Northern Africa, and the Middle East. Have you figured it out yet? You remember when Benghazi happened and we had those American men, including a U.S. ambassador at that consulate in Benghazi, Libya? And if you've seen the movie that chronicles the exact things that happened in the same timeline in which they happened, you remember those American patriots were screaming and hollering, begging for forces to come in to back them up at what they were facing, which was sure and certain suicide. They were going to either die at their own hands or they were going to be slaughtered. Nobody came. On whose order did nobody go? Now Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin. You know who Jake Sullivan is. He's Joe Biden's national security advisor. Jake's been around a long time too. During the Obama administration in his role as then top aide to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and then Vice President Joe Biden. He'd been around for a long time, had a lot of credentials. But Jake, he presided over some of the most humiliating failures in the history of American foreign policy. He was side-by-side with Hillary Clinton when the Benghazi thing happened. His extensive experience as an architect of American failure in these countries, Syria, Libya, Ukraine, Iran, Myanmar, plus the fact that White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, when she was mysteriously out of the office, that made him, because he knows everything about all things government-related, he was a natural choice to defend the Biden administration's handling of the rapidly deteriorating situation in Afghanistan. National Security Advisor, number one intelligence officer in the U.S. government. His hands were right in the middle of Benghazi. 
Before he became President Obama's Deputy National Security Advisor, Tony Blinken. You know who that is. He's now Secretary of State. Tony Blinken spent 20 years influencing American foreign policy almost exclusively from the back rooms of Washington's power institutions. He made his way around, folks, even back in the Clinton administration. Then he worked as a senior bureaucrat on the largely anonymous staff of the National Security Council. As staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he was the guy who was whispering and then chairman of that committee, Joe Biden's. He was whispering in Biden's ear several times on camera during hearings. He would stand behind Senator Joe Biden and whisper things in his ear. As national security advisor to Biden during Obama's first term, Blinken was in the room when the president got his daily security briefings. He had a seat at the table for every major foreign policy decision, including Benghazi, including when Barack Obama appointed Joe Biden for the pullout from Iraq. And Joe Biden went in and did just that, and it looked almost like Afghanistan looks today, except there hasn't been a mass attack back then, as happened yesterday in Afghanistan. Different year on the calendar, a different president who was vice president back then. But these are the same players doing the same thing that they did when they were in office and in positions of power back then. The definition of insanity, folks, is doing the same thing over and over and over again, like using the same people over and over and over again, but expecting different results. It's not going to be different if you do the same thing. You got to make changes. I heard in a sermon a year and a half ago, I heard this preached by a guy who pastors the largest church in the state of New Mexico at a men's conference, Men of Iron. Here's what he said. You, you ought to write this down and keep it somewhere prominent so you can see it every once in a while. It's real short. Nothing changes if nothing changes. That's it. Nothing changes if nothing changes. The commander of the U.S. Central Command, that's the one that General, now Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin was, the one that's there now, yesterday said he didn't know if the Taliban let ISIS suicide bombers get through and conduct those two bombings that killed 13 Marines and killed 90 Afghan citizens. Clearly, if they were able to get up to the Marines at that entry point in the base, there's a failure somewhere. What a brilliant conclusion by Marine General Kenneth McKenzie. He added, 
some of these Taliban guys are scrupulously good. (laughs) Some of them are not. I just don't know the answer to that question, but you can be assured we're going to continue to take a look at and make sure all of our practices are better going forward. Talk about a failure in leadership. Put that, what he said, in the context of this. The Biden administration relied on the Taliban to screen individuals getting through checkpoints they set up around the airport. You heard me right. Our military partnered with the Taliban to screen people that wanted to get through into the airport to get on those flights coming out of Kabul. They're the ones that chose who got in and who didn't get in. It was a bit of an unusual arrangement, given that up until August 14th, the U.S. had been fighting the Taliban for 20 years. No love lost there, but we're going to trust you now. You know, you're the rattlesnake. We see you coiled up in the corner, and you want us to help you out. We're going to help you out, but please, don't bite us. Don't bite us. And sure enough, the rattlesnake does what rattlesnakes do. And I'm not calling Taliban fighters rattlesnakes. I'm just using a comparison for understanding. The Biden administration picked the snake up, wrapped it around its neck, starts walking off. And all of a sudden, the rattlesnake does what rattlesnakes do. President Biden set a U.S. military withdrawal date of next week, the 31st. However, the Taliban managed to take the capital of Kabul by August 14th, sooner than the Biden administration had expected. They expected it to happen, knew it was going to happen, but they just thought it wasn't going to happen so quickly. The Biden administration then forced to surge 6,000 troops to Afghanistan to evacuate U.S. embassy staff, American citizens, and Afghans desperate to get out. They said it's not time to look at what went wrong with the withdrawal. I just, this is the picture of abysmal leadership. It's not time to look at what went wrong. They say they're focused on the evacuation mission. Secretary of State Antony Blinken admitted, however, there were still an estimated 1,500 Americans in Afghanistan. I said this yesterday. I read to you from the State Department requirements. They've been telling us, still tell us, they don't know how many Americans are in the country. And when asked why they don't know, they say, well, you're you're not required to report where you are when you get here to our embassy And a lot of people don't check in and let us know when they move. We don't know where they are. Wah, 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 folks. It's a two-phase process to get into Afghanistan if you're an American. The first one is to go there in the first place, you got to have a passport, which that's no big deal. But you have to reach out to the State Department and fill out an application for one of those pieces of paper that give you authority as an American to go somewhere elsewhere. It's called the visa. So part of the application process with your government is to tell them why you're going, providing copies of your plane tickets round trip, by the way, 
And then in, in part of the application, why are you going? Where are you going to be? All the details. Oh, but that's just the beginning of the process. The State Department then turns that over to the Afghan embassy in Washington. Their State Department, whatever they call them, they have to, first of all, approve your going there and you're going to be doing what you're going to be doing with whom you're going to be doing it and where you're going to be. Kabul's not the only city in Afghanistan. It's a big country. Where are you going to be? They want to know where you're going to be. If they issue a visa, then you get to go. Our State Department, folks, has it on record exactly how many Americans are in Afghanistan and where they are in Afghanistan. I haven't heard anybody stand. Folks, you can Google what I just said you. and get the details for yourself. We're so stupid. They know factually we're not going to get the facts. We don't know what's going on. And so in the meantime, we have these charter planes that are flying out of Kabul, taking obviously not very many Americans, but a whole bunch of others, over 100,000 Afghan refugees have been rescued out of Afghanistan. God bless all of the individuals, the private folks, and our members of the military that have gotten those people out of harm's way. We won't even get to the process that's remaining to be done now. We just pray that they really are processed by our intelligence agencies. We already know that included in the ones that have gotten out, when they get to the first stopping point on their trek to the United States or wherever they're going to go and in many cases, it's Cutter. We have biological capability there, fingerprints, retinas, retina scanning, to find out who's really here, no matter what they say or what kind of documents they hand them. We can prove who they are. We've already found a hundred of the people that got through our military at the Kabul airport, got on planes to go, some of them, many of them to the United States, but others across Europe and other countries, were terrorists. So yesterday, the flights, they were continuing. A Washington-based development firm, Sierra International, they've worked in Afghanistan. They set up plans to try and take a 1,000 Afghan refugees to Uganda, the company's co-founders said the company chartered three flights, but they ran into multiple obstacles. According to the CEO, the Marines at the airport refused to let Afghans in that had seats on the three planes inside the airport. The organization also asked its partners to help fill an urgent cash shortfall before they could fly. He added, the CEO added that one woman from Uganda crawled through sewage pipes to get into the airport to get on the plane. After being unsuccessful in getting more people on the flights, a 345-seat plane left Kabul airport with 50 passengers aboard. We can't expect everybody to crawl through a sewer pipe to safety, this company official said. The window is closing. 
The Carter Center's Conflict Resolution Program Director, Stacy George, also attempted to get people out of Afghanistan. It's a combination of tragic, surreal, and apocalyptic, George said. Another flight left Kabul for Ukraine. Activists reportedly brought 40 vulnerable Afghan women to the airport. They were not let through the gates at the airport. The flight that was supposedly waiting for the group for 48 hours ended up leaving without a single one of them. Since they could not get inside the airport, the flight with 240 seats was able to fill just 70. It's so frustrating to get high-risk people up to the gate and have them risking their lives to go there. You still can't get them through. It's a disaster in slow and fast motion, both at the same time. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, President Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, they have relegated the responsibility for the screening of people that get through and are able to get on these refugee planes coming out of the country. They've relegated that screening process to the Taliban. Now let me get this straight. These are the terrorists that blew up our World Trade Center. 3,000 people died. These are the terrorists that have perpetrated attacks all over Asia in combination often with their other terrorist brothers, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They've trained these ISIS fighters and the Al-Qaeda fighters across Afghanistan. They rape women. They rape boys. They don't even let women go outside, and if they do, they're often attacked. Sometimes they're actually killed, slaughtered, beheaded. Joe Biden's administration relegated that organization to be the organization that decides who gets through those checkpoints and who does not. It was revealed overnight that Taliban terrorists have physically assaulted United Nations staffers in Afghanistan. The assaults included both beatings of staffers and full raids and looting of UN offices. And it follows bizarre statements from multiple UN agencies, including the United Nations Human Rights Council and even UNICEF, notably failing to criticize the Taliban for what they're doing, beating them up. They won't criticize them in any way. One UNICEF official said he was optimistic that it could work with the jihadist terrorist organization on the right of girls to get an education. The Taliban, meanwhile, they banned girls from school, most of public life, during its previous rule of Afghanistan from 1996 to 2001. A document that listed dozens of threats, lootings, and beatings of its own workers was being passed around the United Nations. The incidents purportedly occurred when the Taliban surrounded Kabul, prompting the now former president of the country, President Ghani, to flee to the United Arab Emirates, surrendering the national government 
to the Taliban. And these are the people that Biden contracted with. And oh, by the way, this is going to blow your mind if you haven't heard this. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is from Tucker Carlson last night on Fox News. I didn't see it. But he was the first to reveal this. The Joe Biden administration gave to the Taliban a list of the names of every American citizen that is currently in Afghanistan. Did you hear me? The Biden administration gave a list to the Taliban that contained the names and, by the way, the geographic locations of every American in Afghanistan. Why would they do that, you ask? Well, to get an answer, you got to back up a little bit and go back up to the 10,000-foot level and understand the fundamental premise that Antony Blinken, also Jake Sullivan, General Lloyd Austin, the fundamental premise they're operating this, whatever you want to call it, war, debacle, humiliation, all of that plus many, many more things rolled in. Their fundamental foundation for all their decisions is this. We got to trust the Taliban. You're going to trust the people that rape girls, women, young girls, by the way, and boys. If they don't like you, they will shoot or behead you often in the streets of cities and towns and villages around Afghanistan, and they do that to make a public show to scare everybody into submission. And then there's that video I told you about. If you want to see it, by the way, it's in Facebook Messenger. Send me an email and I'll forward it to you. It's not something that is pretty to see, and it makes it, 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 it nauseated me when I first saw it. Eight men that worked with the United States government in various capacities, Afghanistan natives, on their knees, shot in the back of the head one at a time and killed just because they helped the United States. The Biden administration joined forces with that terrorist organization to handle the security around the Kabul airport, to handle who gets through and is allowed to get out of the country on those jets. Do you think the Taliban is not interested in finding the Americans that remain? Yesterday we played you audio sound bites of multiple Afghani people and also American citizens that are screaming and crying and telling the stories of what they have tried to do to get out and they absolutely know They have no chance at survival. And when I say survival, I mean of remaining alive under the process that this president put in place. Or, let me rephrase that. I'm pretty certain he's not the one doing all of the heavy lifting. In fact, I don't think he has the capacity to do that. Lives are at stake, folks. And here's what my fear is. And I've, I've said this previously earlier in the week on this show. This, this, this same group, whoever it is, this new splinter 
organization or division of ISIS, ISIS-K. I don't know what the K stands for. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's the Taliban. Maybe it's Al-Qaeda. There are at least 30 splinter factions around Afghanistan of the Taliban. It could be any one of them or any combination of them that perpetrated this yesterday. These are the people that they get glory by instilling fear. They get power by instilling fear. And the way they did it in Syria for so long and in parts of Iraq where the systemic slaughter of people on video that was shown to the world. I saw several in which they had dozens of men in those orange suits on the ground on their knees. Shot them systematically. One pilot was shown in a cage and they poured gasoline on the ground all around him and then struck a match and watched him burn to death. I'm afraid we're going to see the same kind of atrocities happen. I hope they don't and I pray they don't. I honestly pray that they don't. But for these power-hungry terrorists, their number one quest is to rid the world of people that look like, act like, and think like Americans do. That's why we're called in their, in their culture the great Satan, by the way, who's the little Satan that's Israel, just because they're Jews. That's what is driving them. We're not going to change that. I just hope they don't make us part of that any longer. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun, and you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmade's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmade's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
I like good music. I think after I get through with the show today, um, normally I dive into research for the next day's stories and things we're going to cover on TNN Live. I think instead of doing that, I think I'm going to put the headset on, listen to some good music today. Let me get a little business out of the way. This may be distasteful to some of you, but I want you to hear our president. If you missed him late last night, I want you to hear it. Give me three minutes. Give President Biden three minutes and listen to a synopsis of his remarks on the Afghanistan terrorist attack. Three minutes. That's all I'm asking. A tough day. These American service members who gave their lives, it's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here, were heroes. Heroes who've been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. We have some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today. You get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out. My heart aches for you. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. I've also ordered my commanders to develop operational plans to strike ISIS-K assets, leadership, and facilities. We will respond with force and precision at our time, at the place we choose, in the moment of our choosing. Here's what you need to know. These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans who are there. We will get our Afghan allies out. And our mission will go on. America will not be intimidated. And I have the utmost confidence in our brave service members who continue to execute this mission with courage and honor to save lives and get Americans, our partners, our Afghan allies out of Afghanistan. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. Our interest in going was to prevent al-Qaeda from reemerging First, to get bin Laden, wipe out al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, prevent that from happening again. As I've said a hundred times, terrorism has metastasized around the world. We have greater threats coming out of other countries, a heck of a lot closer to the United States. We don't have military encampments there. We don't keep people there. We have over the horizon capability to keep them from going after us. Ladies and gentlemen, it was time to end a 20-year war. Thank you so much. You heard there at the end the typical ending of a Biden speech of late. And he appeared twice yesterday evening. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to let you hear the very end, about a minute of... Um, the time before the one you just heard where he came in and how he transitioned from that to taking questions 
from the media. But I, I want to point something out that he said there. Oh, we're going to we're gonna continue. We're going to watch. We're going to ferret them out. We're going to go after and kill them all on our terms and our places. And we have. He was asked. You heard Peter Ducey of Fox News ask him, what are our plans? What are we going to do for making sure this doesn't happen again and again and again and that we have no from Afghanistan or some other country in that part of the world launching attacks on our homeland. What are you going to do? And you heard him use the term, we have over-the-horizon capability. Now let me tell you what that is. And then let me explain to you how stupid that is for the president or anybody in our government to say. Over-the-horizon typically means in military terminology we have the ability to, from 25, 30, 40,000 feet, watch everything that's going on and not just watch and see it. That can be through satellite vision. You know how that works. But we have the ability when we see things that are happening or things that look like terrorist activities, and then we can make decisions of how to handle what we're pretty sure of. Maybe it'll be a, uh, a covert operation in which we send people in. Folks, I don't know if you know, if you've looked at the globe and understand where Afghanistan is a scheme of geography as it pertains to the U.S. or our military bases in that proximity of the world. Listen closely. We have no military base in that proximity any longer. Do you know where from where our closest facility is that we could actually fly a drone from? to go over and do that over-the-horizon surveillance? Eight hours away. Eight hours away. On his orders, Biden's orders, our military vacated the Bagram Air Base in the outskirts of Kabul. Why would they do that? That was probably even when you throw into the into the mix of considerations here, probably the stupidest thing our military could ever do. We had a massive, powerful, perfect military intelligence and protective structure in that airbase. As compared to the civilian airport in downtown Kabul, where streets run along the barriers around the airport, every terrorist has full, easy access to everything in that airport, look what we are struggling with there now. We could have kept our military inside the whole infrastructure that we built and occupied. And by the way, that's where billions of dollars of our military equipment and our weapons were left for the Taliban just to use however they want to use. But the biggest thing about Bagram is this. It's 200 miles, just 200 miles from China. We have no way to watch China. No way to react if anything big happens in China. We're going to have to do whatever we're going to do. Our over-the-horizon operations from some other place that is a long way away. This just blows my mind. I mean, instance after instance. These people have no business being not just in 
our political system. In any political or military system, any place on planet Earth, they don't have a clue. And Americans are paying the price for that with their lives. And it's not over, folks. I'm sad, and I hate to even say that it might not be over. But I'm convinced it's not over. I've got a minute and 30 second snippet of Joe Biden from last night. I want you to listen to it. And let me tell you, listen to every word he speaks. Listen closely. Ladies and gentlemen, they gave me a list here. The first person I was instructed to call on was Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. You have said leaving Afghanistan is in the national interest of the United States. After today's attack, do you believe you will authorize additional forces to respond to that attack inside Afghanistan? And are are you prepared to add additional forces to protect those Americans who remain on the ground carrying out the evacuation operation? I've instructed the military, whatever they need, if they need additional force, I will grant it. But the military from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the Joint Chiefs, the commanders in the field have all contacted me one way or another, usually by letter, saying they subscribe to the mission as designed to get as many people out as we can within the time frame that is allotted. That is the best way they believe to get as many Americans out as possible and others. And with regard to finding, tracking down the ISIS leaders who ordered this, we have some reason to believe we know who they are. Not certain. What I wanted you to listen closely to was what he said, every word he said. At the very beginning of this, Listen to the first couple of sentences again. Ladies and gentlemen, they gave me a list here. The first person I was instructed to call on was Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. They gave me a list. They gave me a list. And the first person I'm supposed to call on is Kelly O'Donnell of NBC News. Then you heard Kelly ask her questions. Did you notice his answers? They were scripted. This president has no capability of flying as the number one executive, the commander-in-chief of the United States military, flying solo. He can't do it. So the reason I wanted you to hear that, obviously, was to hear what he said. But I wanted you to understand something. Joe Biden's not running the presidency. We suspected it in the very early going after the election last November, I told you he would never be in a leadership position where he was making as president, solely making, even with advice, making the decisions for everything to do with our government. Somebody else was going to be in his ear. Somebody that he ceded the authority to do that. He being the president ceded to somebody else. Who is that? I mean, you just heard him reference who it was. They, they gave me a list 
They told me. He says this all the time. They told me not to answer questions. They. Who is they? Don't think for a second it's his um, Secretary of State or his White House Chief of Staff. Don't think for a second it's that. It's somebody on planet Earth that has control over Joe Biden and has the ability to tell him what to say, what to do, and what not to say, and what not to do. And he listens and adheres to exactly what he's told. I was interested to listen for and to hear what former President Donald Trump had to say about this. So he began with this. Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan is the single most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. Trump's comments came in a lengthy and very wide-ranging, it was about a two-hour-long interview on Wednesday evening at his office in northern New Jersey, where he's been living and working for the last couple of months. The only thing that surprised me, he said, is that everybody knew how absolutely stupid this situation in Afghanistan was, that it should have never even been this way. Because everybody knows, a child would know, you take the military out last, you get everybody out, then you get all of the equipment, you take your $83 billion worth of equipment, and then you blow up the bases. Perhaps you stay at, you take a certain area that you may want to keep like Bagram, and keep the base there because it's next to China and Iran. It costs billions and billions of dollars to build, and maybe you keep that for other reasons. But everybody knows that you take your military out last, and Biden took the military out first. He tried, Biden did yesterday, folks, one more time to blame Trump for his own failures in Afghanistan. And that's been a constant theme. Everybody in his administration, for everything that goes wrong, they point at Trump. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Biden spent eight years side by side with a former president of the United States, Barack Obama. And from the moment Joe Biden took the oath of office as vice president, until long after the Obama administration was over. They pointed back and they blamed everything negative that happened in their eight years was Bush 43's fault. Biden's doing the same thing again. That's one reason that makes me think that voice that comes from behind Biden whispers in his ear is that of Barack Obama. Trump noted that his withdrawal deal was signed in February of 2020. And that happened after Trump and his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, negotiated specific terms. Listen to what I'm saying there. They negotiated specific terms, an agreement, a withdrawal agreement, in writing, signed by everybody that was party to it. The United States, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. They had meetings, Trump himself as well as Pompeo, 
with Taliban leader Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar. And after that was signed in 2020, there was not another American soldier. No member of our military died in Afghanistan until yesterday under Biden. Trump said the people that I was doing a very good job of dealing with. Remember, we haven't had a soldier killed in a year and a half. That was part of, that was condition of our agreement. No soldiers, none of our soldiers were to be attacked, certainly none to be killed, and none were. Obviously, that all changed yesterday when Americans were hit with the sobering news. Two suicide bombers affiliated allegedly with terrorist group ISIS-K. And whether that was supposed to be classified information that was kept secret, it was let out of the bag by President Biden. You just heard him say, we're going to go after ISIS. We're pretty sure who it is. (laughs) Trump and former First Lady Melania Trump issued a joint statement expressing their condolences to the slain service members' families and their outrage at the other failures that led to this. Melania even reached her own statement. One of, if not the most graceful first lady in American history that Democrats hated, and it was crazy. She is beautiful, a fashion icon, and the media, (laughs) they totally ignored her, speaks five languages fluently. So does their son. The American left could not stand the fact that the American people could actually elect a guy that they felt like would finally do something politically that the people asked him to do and he promised to do when he was campaigning. And then sure enough, he was inaugurated as president. And every one of those promises he made that he had the ability to do himself, he got done. The only ones that were not completed were the ones that he could not get done. He didn't have the unilateral authority, and he went to Congress. His first two years, he had a Congress controlled by his own party, and they still couldn't get it done or wouldn't get it done. And then you compare the current president's achievements, the way he's functioned, the way he makes decisions, uh, this this guy doesn't make decisions. Somebody else does if a decision is made. Anyway, according to the experts in our military, they're expecting some more attacks. The U.S. said it's bracing for repeat attacks by the ISIS terrorist group after what happened yesterday. At a press briefing yesterday, shortly after the attacks, Marine Corps General Kenneth F. McKenzie, who's commander of the U.S. Central Command, I told you about that a little while ago, he expects tax by ISIS to continue, including possibly rockets or car bombs targeting the airport in Kabul. You know, that one that's right downtown. ISIS-K is an ISIS affiliate. They claimed responsibility for those two blasts yesterday, bragging about a suicide bomber managing to penetrate all the security fortifications put in place by the Biden administration and the Taliban, by by the way. The threat from ISIS is extremely real, the general said, 
We've been talking about this for several days. We saw it actually manifest itself in the last few hours with an actual attack. He said the U.S. thinks the terrorist groups desire to continue those attacks. I don't even know why these guys come out and say all this crap. Every American knows this. They hate us. They want us dead. They tell us they hate us. They tell us they want us dead. And they tell us they're going to kill us. And they kill us. And we have these quote-unquote experts over there saying, oh, we know they're going to do some bad stuff. Well, why didn't we know yesterday? Why didn't we know before we abandoned Bagram Air Base, where we had a self-built, constructed designs and implemented perfect, perfect place to protect our assets, our people, and those Afghan people that for 20 years, they believed what we, we were telling them. If you help us here, we'll take care of you forever. And eight of them I watched get slaughtered, shot in the back of the head. It just makes you want to cry sometimes. It makes you want to cuss. I must confess to you, I have cussed about this. I haven't done it on the air, and I'm not going to. But folks, let me tell you, the saddest piece of this entire thing, as bad as it is that 13 Americans have died and 90, at least 90 Afghanis have died in this thing yesterday, people around the world don't know what to think about us. And they're asking leaders in foreign nations and leaders in NATO, forget about what the White House is telling us now. Joe Biden himself is telling us, oh, I've been in constant communication with our allies. They're in lockstep with us. And then we turn on the television, we read a story, and one after another in public statements are blasting the American people, this administration, for what they're doing. And Biden continues to say, I'm in constant contact with the leaders of our of our partners around the world, and they think this process is the exact way we should do this. When we're hearing them say, what the H is going on with this president? We can't trust him. We can't trust him. Listen to this little potpourri of people around the world are asking, who's in charge? the United States, or the Taliban. The Taliban said that staying past the 31st was going to provoke a reaction. And then President Biden decides, okay, we won't stay. Do they have the same kind of influence over military planning as the commander-in-chief? Well, first of all, Peter, the, ta- the Taliban's deadline was May 1st, uh, struck in a deal with the prior administration. The president's timeline was August 31st. That's the timeline he set. In a, time, in a period of time he needed in order to uh, operationalize our departure from Afghanistan. I'd also note that, as I said, as we conveyed in the statement, that our objective and our focus and the focus of the Commander-in-Chief is always going to be on the safety and security of the men and women who are serving our country in the military. And that has to be a factor here, and that certainly is a factor for him as he thinks about the timeline. There are Taliban fighters right now carrying American weapons. They're wearing American fatigues, the full kit of gear. How is that advancing America's national security interests? Well, Peter, I think my my colleague Jake Sullivan spoke to a version of this uh, last week. Um, But let me tell you, uh, let me reiterate some of what he said. Uh, When the president made this decision uh, to 
bring our men and women home from Afghanistan who were serving. Uh, he knew uh, he made that decision not lightly. He made the decision uh, with a clear assessment from his national security team about what the impacts could be. We have taken steps over the past few months to retrograde materials, to bring materials home, to make them not available uh, to the Taliban. We have taken those steps from our military. But our, our uh, choices at hand, the President's choices at hand, were either to equip the Afghan National Security Forces with the materials and the equipment and the weapons they needed to fight, or not. He made the decision to equip them with the weapons to fight. And we will continue to take steps to retrograde our materials and equipment. It shows the Taliban seizing an American Black Hawk chopper from the Afghan Armed Forces at Kandahar Airport. Most of the time we don't rely on all of this, we just rely on Allah. But it does help us a lot and it's given us a lot of new weapons we can use in battle. Of course we want peace, all people want peace here, but the government doesn't want peace with us. The A-29 Super Tucano from the Mazari Sharif airport. Grab an AK if I want. Another video shows American arms and ammunition lying unattended at the Kabul airport. Weapons. PPE. And there's no guards at all. Many of these boxes supplied by the Americans hadn't even been opened before the Taliban got hold of them. Whoa. It has now been reported that 600,000 assault rifles, 2,000 armored vehicles, 40 aircraft Blackhawks may have been seized by the Taliban. These are stunning numbers, disturbing numbers. From this base alone, the Taliban say they seized about 900 guns, 30 Humvees, and 20 army pickup trucks. It's a whole pile of, of destroyed vehicles, military vehicles there, and a huge area that they've managed to take over. The Taliban will see this and view this as a substantial victory. And they're asking every day, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Where is the formerly known as the greatest country on the planet? the United States of America, where are they? Aren't they supposed to be in charge? Aren't they the ones that told us for 20 years, we're going to make sure that no terrorist organization rips through your country again and certainly won't rip through any other nation on the planet with terrorist activities? Where are we? Where are we, folks? Where is the United States? Who's at the helm? Who's doing what needs to be done? Better question yet. Is what needs to be done getting done? Or are we just going to see chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and 10 of the Biden administration watching as Americans and our partners around the world, their citizens are being slaughtered by terrorists? Do you really think that's the direction we're going to go? Do you really think leadership in charge now will stop it? Wow. Not trying to scare you to death going into the weekend. Just getting you to think. This is still we the people. We're still in charge. They don't want us to think we're in charge, but we are. We're not finished here yet today. We're not. 
There's a big other problem that is self-made and we're dealing with right now. Who and how many are there of these Afghani refugees that are already on the ground here in the United States of America that haven't even been vetted? Oh my gosh, that's next. Here's to choice, to making your voice be heard, to getting exactly what you want, especially when you eat. At Subway restaurants, you choose your freshly baked bread, meats, cheese, and veggies to make a sub that's just right for you. Come in and create yours today. Subway, eat fresh. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. Back at it, folks. Hey, listen, don't forget, we're headed into the weekend. That means on Saturday, our offering every week, our most read stories of each week are our Saturday bullet points. If you've not looked in on the weekend, you want to make sure you do it tomorrow. Here's what we do every week. We go back and look at the that week that's ending on that Saturday. We go back and look at the biggest stories that broke during the week from around the world. Sometimes there's a lot of them. Sometimes there's not. But we don't want you to miss any of the important ones. So what we do is we'll list in bullet point format, a bullet point, bam. And then there's like two or three sentences that describe the details of the story, the big story. And then there's a blue circled arrow at the end of that story. If you want further details than those that are listed in those two or three sentences, all you do is click on that arrow and it'll take you to a full story. And folks, you need to understand this. These stories aren't ones that we've written here at Truth News Network. And they're not always from conservative news sources. Many times, we want you to get the perspective of the non-conservative side of the political system in the United States. And it'll be to a CNN or some other far-left website just so that you can get perspective. If you don't, want, or maybe it's a story that you don't need to see any further details. You just go down and look at the next bullet point. We usually do about a dozen, sometimes as many as 16 to 20 when there are big stories, but you don't want to miss it. Again, it's our most read offering of every week because people are busy and people don't want to miss the important stuff. 
Saturday bullet points. Maybe you want to wait up tonight until it's pu- published. <laughs> I kind of doubt that. It, it goes live at 1.45 a.m. Central Time. <laughs> wait till you get up. It's good to do with a cup of coffee. Maybe tomorrow you'll need a donut. Or if you're in Louisiana, you want a, a beignet. For those of you that have been to New Orleans, you know that that is a staple of a pastry that cannot be touched, never has been by anybody. And it's spelled B-E-I-G-N-E-T, beignet. You want one. I want one tomorrow morning myself. So I, uh, I ran across this early this morning, and it just blew my mind. Yeah, it blew my mind. Biden's Department of Defense. I can't believe they would let this happen, but even more so, I can't believe they would admit it. The Department of Defense does not know how many Afghans flagged on terrorist watch lists have sought refuge in the United States through these evacuations of Afghanistan. This came out during a press briefing on the Biden administration's evacuation efforts. Pentagon spokesman, former Admiral John Kirby, he said he didn't know how many Afghans seeking resettlement in the U.S. had been flagged as matches for individuals on terrorist watch list. Here's how it went. Jennifer Griffin, she's a reporter from Fox News. Quote, how many individuals on terror watch list have been screened or found at any of the screening points, either in Qatar, Ramstein, or Ramstein, that's in Germany, or in the United States? Admiral Kirby, I don't know. We'll have to take that question and get back to you. But Pentagon officials told Defense One earlier this week that up to 100 of the 7,000 Afghans evacuated as prospective recipients of those special immigration visas, those are Afghans that are seeking permanent resettlement here in the United States. Up to 100 of them have been flagged as potential matches to intelligence agency watch list. There's certainly been a number of them, one official said. At least one of those Afghans seeking an SIV to enter the U.S., has been detained in Qatar, didn't even get on the plane to come here, after officials said his background showed possible ties to guess who? ISIS. Also this week, it was revealed that at least five cases at the Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul, five cases, Afghans have attempted to board U.S.-bound flights using fraudulent American passports that don't even belong to them. The U.S. mission team reported at least five of those cases, highlighting fraud concerns and complicating the process of screening people to enter the airport. Though Biden has said again and again that Afghans are being screened at U.S. military bases abroad, he ignored that they also are being flown to the U.S. before having completed their visa processing. Specifically, Afghans are being sent to Fort Bliss in Texas, outside of El Paso, Fort Lee in Virginia, Fort McCoy in Wisconsin, and Fort Dix in New Jersey for their processing. So they're coming here before they're being processed. Over the last 20 years, about a half million refugees or more 
have been resettled across the nation, more than double that of residents who live in Miami, Florida. And it would be the equivalent of annually adding the population of Pensacola, Florida. Refugee resettlement cost American taxpayers $9 billion every five years. That's according to research, and each refugee cost us about $133,000 over the course of their lifetime here. Within five years, an estimated 16% of all refugees admitted will need housing assistance that will be paid for, of course, by taxpayers. Wow. You know who's been uh, mysteriously quiet? I haven't seen her on a television camera through this whole debacle. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York. She weighed in yesterday. She's got it all figured out. She was on NBC's The Readout. And here's what she said. Former President Trump's, quote, extremely xenophobic and racist immigration policies played a role in the current Afghanistan withdrawal chaos. She forgets about this fact. Not one immigration law, not a single one, and there are dozens. Dozens. Not one of those laws was even implemented during Donald Trump's presidency. Not one. So those policies that are created with those bills that go through, you know, that little House of Representatives thing that she plays around in, it goes there, and then it goes to the U.S. Senate, and if it passes both of those places and is approved, it goes to the president at the time's desk, and he or she signs it or decides to veto it. Hey, AOC, Donald Trump was none of those. None of these immigration laws happened on his watch. So if you're saying those policies that are doing all of the chaos, those extremely xenophobic and racist immigration policies, they aren't his. They're your Democrat colleagues. When AOC said that, anchor Joy Reid, who is a far-left conservative hater, Joy Reid, she said this, We used to have an annual ceiling of 231,000 people under Ronald Reagan. No moderate figure there. George W. Bush, 70,000. Under President Obama, it was 85,000. Under Trump, 15,000. We have had former members of the administration come forward and talk about Stephen Miller, eventually essentially waging rhetorical war against the idea of Afghans coming here. We've seen people on another network call them invaders. So there's another side of this. There's another side that doesn't want any of them here. So you did, do you think the politics around bringing more people in are going to be challenged by that xenophobic attitude we're seeing play out? AOC said it's no secret that the Trump administration carried out extremely xenophobic and racist immigration policies. When we look at the turmoil of what is happening now, one of the questions we have to ask is, well, Afghanistan is a responsibility, and that falls upon the shoulders of every president since George W. Bush. One of the things we see, what was the Trump administration doing when they were not pre-evacuating out under the SIV program, these Afghan interpreters, interpreters and nationals and allies. It's because of Stephen Miller 
and his rhetoric and the xenophobia of the Trump administration that there were many thousands of Afghans we could have worked on evacuating much earlier than even this year. That woman that said that, she serves in the United States House of Representatives, elected from a district on the east side, northeast side of Manhattan. Folks, that's one of the most powerful people in the government today is saying that. Two things. Donald Trump wasn't in office when each of the immigration laws that are currently laws in the United States were passed and signed into law. As a matter of fact, those were created, implemented, and signed almost in total by Democrat presidents and Democrat congresses. That's number one. Number two, Stephen Miller was an advisor to Donald Trump. He didn't pull any strings. If anybody thinks that anybody in the Trump administration told Donald Trump what to do and what not to do, you're smoking something, and in a lot of places what you're smoking is illegal. Donald Trump was the determiner-in-chief of his policies. You can book that. Yeah, he made some mistakes, no question about it, but it was because in almost every case he was given bad information, sometimes purposefully. He has a, a career, a very storied career of making decisions. Yes, some of his business decisions didn't work out so good. If you're an entrepreneur, you know another entrepreneur as he is and was, you know that happens. You make decisions based on the best information you have at hand when you have to make those decisions. Sometimes some of the information you have is bad. Sometimes you don't have any information. But it doesn't change the fact that you still have to make some decisions and some choices. This president, to be completely honest with you, I don't think he on his own has made a single choice. Or if he has, he's done it just fly by night, had an emotion, had a thought, and decided to do something. He's made some stupid ones, and we know for a fact that sometimes he's doing exactly opposite of what his handlers have advised him to do. Regardless of what it is, folks, what you're hearing and seeing now from the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and of course MSNBC's everybody that's on the air there, and CNN, it has nothing to do with the rule of law. It has nothing to do with the representative republic process of governing the nation. It has to do with one thing and one thing only, the political narrative that these far leftist Democrats want to see implemented across the board in the United States. And it all boils down to this one thing. Our government controls everything. Period. The people do nothing but send your income tax dollars to Washington, D.C. That's all we are is a dollar sign. Who's the third most powerful position? Who holds that in our U.S. government? It's always the House Speaker, Speaker of the House. That's Nancy Pelosi right now. 
So in the middle of all this that was going on yesterday, people dying, people getting exploded literally, 13 of them Americans, 90 of them were Afghans. All that going on yesterday, both the White House and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issued woke-filled statements about Women's Equality Day. In those releases, they did that before they even acknowledged the two bombings in Afghanistan or any of the people that were killed. They both, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, issued grandiose statements of well wishes. And it was a good, worthy cause. It was the anniversary of the 1920 adoption of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. Very important thing. But I don't think it's more important than people getting blown up in Afghanistan, American members of the military. At the same time, women and civilians over there are quickly being subjugated by the Taliban and bombed by Islamic terrorists and Biden's failed withdrawal from the country. Twin suicide bombings. More than 100 people killed, including 13 U.S. military members. The Afghan broadcast ITV News published photos of civilians using wheelbarrows to tend to the injured and people running from the scene covered in blood. My administration is committed to bearing out the promise of the suffragist who understood that for women to attain true equality in our country, they must have an equal place at the ballot box. That was part of President Biden's statement. As the vice president has said, the status of women is the status of democracy. This is true abroad, too, where we are committed to strengthening women's political participation and leadership around the world. And, of course, what he did then, he before he even got to Afghanistan, he took the opportunity to slam Republicans' voter integrity laws as shameless attacks on voting, burdening a constitutional right with obstacles that overwhelmingly impact voters of color, low-income communities, and people with disabilities. Folks, each one of those things he claimed, parts of these laws that are being done incidentally not at the federal level, and of course that's what they're griping about, they want the federal government to control everything. And the voters' right laws that they're considering now do just that. They take all of the elections, every part of the election process, that, according to the Constitution, is the sole power of the individual 50 state legislatures. Biden and Pelosi, and majority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, they want to take that away from the American people and give it to the government. Biden repeats talking points. They never give any examples to justify or back up their talking points about this voter suppression. His words, integrity laws are shameless attacks on voting, burdening a constitutional right with obstacles that overwhelmingly impact voters of color, low-income communities, and people with disabilities. You know what they are? Let me give them to you in a shell. They want to require everybody that votes. 
is who they say they are and are legally eligible to vote. And because they know there is so much emphasis put on election results to reshape our nation, a nation that they don't want to see as a conservative nation, which the majority of Americans are conservative, and those that are conservative don't want one party controlling everything, racist and xenophobic because they think that. Wow. Folks, believe it or not, (laughs) it's a wrap today. We've actually gone over a few minutes, which we haven't done ever at TNN Live, but we've We've had so many important things that we wanted to discuss with you again. You guys have a great weekend. And instead of letting the fear overtake and dominate what you think, say a prayer and ask God for peace. Peace at home, peace in the United States, and peace abroad. Pray for the family members of those who lost loved ones too. Get outside yourself this weekend. Have a great one. It's so important to make someone happy Make just one someone happy Make just one heart-to-heart you You sing to one Smile that cheers you One face that lights when it nears you One girl you're You're everything If you win it Comes and goes in a minute Where's the real stuff in life To cling to Love is the answer Someone to love is the answer Once you found her your world around her Make someone happy Make just one someone happy And you will be happy too